Welcome back to The Daily Poem here on the Close Reads Podcast Network. I'm David Kern. Today's poem is by Thomas Hardy, an English novelist and poet. He is, of course, known for his novels like Tess of the D'Urbervilles, Jude the Obscure, Far From the Matting Crowd, and many others. And he is certainly known for his poetry. Uh, he was uh, beloved by poets like W.H. Auden and Philip Larkin, and Ezra Pound, among many others. The poem that I'm going to read today is called During Wind and Rain. Uh, today is a gross, windy, rainy, cold day here in North Carolina. So this poem uh, was on the brain. And uh, I suspect that many of you, uh, this mid-November day, are dealing with very similar circumstances, very similar weather. So without further ado, here is Thomas Hardy's During Wind and Rain. They sing their dearest songs, he, she, all of them, yea, treble and tenor and bass and one to play, with the candles mooning each face. Ah, no, the years, oh, how the sick leaves reel down in throngs. They clear the creeping moss, elders and juniors, I making the pathway neat and the garden gay, and they build a shady seat. Ah, no. The years, the years, see the white storm birds wing across. They are blithely breakfasting all, men and maidens, yea, under the summer tree with a glimpse of the bay while pet fowl come to the knee. Ah, no. The years, oh, and the rotten rose is ripped from the wall. They change to a high new house, he, she, all of them. I clocks and carpets and chairs and the lawn all day and brightest things that are theirs. Ah, oh, no, the years, the years, down their carved names, the raindrop plows. This is a complicated, uh, complicated poem. There's a, there's a lot of uh, formal repetition, but the formal repetition in this case, in my opinion, doesn't necessarily make things uh, more clear. In some ways, it uh, makes things more confounding, even as it you know, gives some shape to, to one's contemplation of the poem. For example, the sixth line of each of the four stanzas is ah, no, so ah, comma, no, semicolon, the years, oh. Um, well, although that's the, the first and the third stanza, it's that way. The second and fourth stanza, it's, ah, oh, no, the years, the years. So the difference there is the end of the line in the first and third. It's the word, oh, with an exclamation point. And then the second and fourth stanzas, there's an extra, the years. But it's essentially the same. And then prior to that line, uh, there is a line that ends with an ellipsis. Um, it, as if there is a sort of, progression to a conclusion which is ah uh, no <laughs> um so there's four actions being you know each stanza represents an action they sing their dearest songs at the beginning they clear the creeping moss in the second stanza third stanza they are blithely breakfasting all fourth stanza they change to a high new house back in the late 90s um, on an episode of Soundings, which, which was something that The Atlantic did, there is a reflection on this poem, and they had several different poem poets uh, read the poem, and then a um, poet named Philip Levine wrote a little bit about it. And he wrote this. I want to see if I can find this for you. 
Okay. He says, he mentions how it's a kind of a family poem. There seems to be a group of family members here, although they don't use names unless you consider treble, tenor, bass, elders, juniors, things like that as, as names, those descriptors. So each of those things seems to stand in for um, characters almost. But then he says, this poem's focus seems on their activities and always those they acted out in concert. So they seem to be doing these activities together. I mean, hence the word they, right? Which then, of course, makes treble, tenor, bass, things like that, um, thematically quite consistent with that. But then he says, the first, quote, the first thing that hit me with force was the ominous fifth lines of the first stanza, with the candles mooning each face. I heard it as a delicate, understated transition from the gaiety of the opening family song fest to the two lines of lamentation that conclude the stanza. The faces that are mooned have temporarily lost their features, that which made them distinctive, made them what they are, just as they will permanently lose those distinctions in the future that awaits them. And then he talks about how as the poem goes on, there's a sort of, um, things seem to be getting grander for them. They're clearing the creeping moss, making the pathway neat and the garden gay, and they're build, they build a shady seat to sit on. They're breakfasting, on, there's on, they're under the summer tree, but then they can see a glimpse of the bay. And then in the final stanza, they change to a new high house with clocks and carpets and chairs on the lawn all day and bright things that are theirs. And so the things seem to be getting grander and grander and grander. But then in the end, we get another haunting line. Down their carved names the raindrop plows. And this seems to represent, or seems to be a reference to the grave, to, to a tombstone. And in the end, <laughs> all these things lead to the same place. So is this a dower poem? Is it just, you know, it's, it's called during wind and rain. <laughs> maybe, it was, maybe it was just, you know, a moody poem, a poet in, 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 in that frame of mind. And so all the things they were trying to tame by clearing the creeping moss and, and making the garden pathway neat and orderly, all those things that they thought that they were going to be able to tame and, and, and live amongst with, with order ultimately are the same things that, that win, right? That plow through their carved names on the tombstones. And uh, Levine writes this, this stanza form, which Hardy seems to have invented, allows for both the merry swinging movement of the beginning lines of each stanza with their undercurrent of futility and the sure counterpunch delivered in the closing rhymes. Closing lines, the rhyme is effortless. And in the final stanza, one might say daring. He rhymes house with plows, or rather off rhymes it, as well as with years and chairs. What extraordinary resonance he captures merely through the music of the poem. I should not say merely, for the music itself is sheer magic and flawless. End quote. So, on a cold and windy day, this is a poem worth keeping in mind, I think. Hope it's not too dour for you. Here one more time is During Wind and Rain. They sing their dearest songs, he, she, all of them, yea, treble and tenor and bass and one to play, with the candles mooning each face. Ah, oh, no. The years, oh, how the sick leaves reel down in throngs. They clear the creeping moss, elders and juniors, I making the pathway neat and the garden gay, and they build a shady seat. Ah oh no, the years, the years, see the white storm birds wing across. They are blithely breakfasting all, men and maidens, yea, under the summer tree with a glimpse of the bay, while pet fowl come to the knee. Ah oh no, 
The years, oh, and the rotten rose is ripped from the wall. They change to a high new house. He, she, all of them. Eye clocks and carpets and chairs on the lawn all day and brightest things that are theirs. Oh, no. The years. The years. Down their carved names. The raindrop plows. This has been The Daily Poem. Thanks so much for listening. Be back tomorrow with another poem for you. Thank you.